Good morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus, build generational transformational disciples of Jesus. I am Pastor Aaron, and it's great to see you, at least half of your faces, again today. And welcome to all you joining us online as we continue our series through the book of Jonah all in. And uh, thus so far, we've gone through chapter one, uh, where we've uh, gotten to see you know, Jonah having some, a mistake running from God, and God got his attention. Uh, chapter 2, last week, the prayer from inside of the belly of the fish. And today we get to talk about a weird word, revival, and uh, what that really means and how we have that into our lives. Uh, before we do get into that, though, our memory verse for the series. I hope by now, this is our third weekend, that this is something that is beginning to help you and uh, uh, kind of stick into your heart and your mind. Um, but if not, that's okay. We have a couple more weeks, and so... Here we go. Just say it along with me. Here we go. Three, two, one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 3, 5. All right, this is so good. We're just going to have to test ourselves right now. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Proverbs 3, 5. I love that passage because uh, it really helps us so often in life where we ask, what does God want from me, right? Uh, beginning with, do you trust that God actually has a plan for you in your life and that God's a good communicator and that God is a, a really good planner, right? He tells us and he guides us as we go through. We have to trust with him, right? We have to trust in him with all of our hearts. And oftentimes that means that we can't just live our lives according to what we think is best. And so his word gives us that guidance, doesn't it? And as we begin to submit to him, we begin to learn how to live life in the rhythm of his grace and his love and his word. It begins to make our lives make sense. And sometimes those little decisions where he's like, I'll let you choose, they don't become so paralyzing. But the big decisions, the one that oftentimes take us off track and destroy our lives and wreck our lives, it seems like they are pretty obvious, become more and more obvious. Those are exit ramps from the great things that God has for us in our lives. I encourage you, take some time, memorize that, think about that passage, even this week, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. How do we, are you doing that? What does that mean? Leaning on Him and not your own understanding. As we do that, uh, I want to get into God's Word, because here's a guy who didn't trust in the Lord's will with all of his heart. He didn't lean on, uh, on the Lord's will. He leaned on his own understanding, and he had a little detour. Jonah, hopefully by now, you're getting familiar with it. Uh, we want to be in chapter 3 today, so we're gonna, it's the happy Happy chapter there. So, yep, Jonah 1, Jonah disobeyed, and he ended up in the fish belly. Jonah 2, he repents, and he is saved. And uh, so now he's vomited back on shore, and that's pretty much where we begin, right? He starts off chapter 3 as fish vomit, and he moves up from there and gets to see some awesome things. So here's some events that happened to Jonah 3. Jonah finally goes to Nineveh, right? So God gives him a second chance. He's in the whale, and really, or the fish, whatever it was, and he really was considered dead. The, the guys who saw him swallowed by the fish and threw him over, they're like, this dude's dead, right? Jonah would have thought himself dead because normally when you get swallowed by a fish and you're under the water for three days, that's it for you. That's pretty much done. But it wasn't done. God had a plan, used that brokenness. He, he gives him a second chance, and uh, that's wonderful. Now, he does travel up to, to Nineveh. He realizes that running away from God's a bad idea, so he goes there, 
and, uh, and he does his ministry. And his ministry was to be able to, to offer uh, a message of repentance to a city that was really, really wicked. So Nineveh was a horrible, horrible city. They did awful things. One of the capitals of the ancient uh, world power, Assyria, right? They were this massive, giant empire. Wicked, wicked. They did violence, all kinds of, when I say violence, really bad things. Like to their neighbors, their neighboring cities, they would just go down and slaughter entire towns for no other reason than just to pile up people's heads in a pile, right? Sometimes they wouldn't even take their stuff. Like they were bad. Really violent, awful, horrible place. And this was one of their capitals, And so uh, Jonah probably had suffered at the hand of Assyria, probably really wanted for the sake of real justice for bad things to happen to them, and it was a truly wicked city. But this is amazing to me that in spite of the fact that Nineveh was still wicked, they were still doing bad things, they had no signs of remorse or turning yet, God loved them, even though they did bad things to God's people. Even though they were just, everything they did was a whole total affront to God. God still loved them, and he wanted to give them a second chance too, just like he gave Jonah. And so Jonah was given this message. Go up there and tell Nineveh God's going to destroy you in 40 days. Now, that's the message. You will be destroyed in 40 days. That's the entire message. Jonah didn't even have to say, turn or you will be destroyed in 40 days. The message was, hey, you fools, you're going to die in 40 days. Right? And that's a pretty big, hard message. Right? And 40, why 40? I don't know. It's a pretty significant number in Scripture. Right? 40 comes up over and over again. The flood was 40 days, 40 nights. Moses was on Sinai for that long. Jesus was in the wilderness for that 40-day period. Right? Uh, That 40 days has a lot of significance. And oftentimes, Bible scholars have discussed this, and why would that be? Uh, oftentimes biblical numbers have some significance as well. Even if they're literally true, 40 days, four oftentimes stands for, represents the world, right? The four corners of the earth, all things that are in creation. And 10 is normally the number of completion, right? Because you have 10 fingers, right? That's the number of fullness or completion. And so God is very symbolic in that 40 days. It's all of what the world has, right? And he's saying, listen, I've given you everything the world has, and in 40 days you're going to be done, right? That's it. That's all your time left. That's the number of completion you have left on earth, which is pretty chilling if you think about it. Well, he gives the, the people this time, but 40 days also is not just a symbolically important number, but it also is a very literal number that gives people time to think. Because in 40 days, you have an opportunity to make a change, right? If God just wanted them destroyed, he could have done the Sodom and Gomorrah thing. When like, flee, because now, boom. But that's not what happened. 40 days and you'll be destroyed. And then Nineveh did something that was completely unexpected to everybody except for God and Jonah. And Nineveh repented. I mean, this is out of nowhere. You have an enemy prophet comes through and just says, my God, whom you don't even worship, is going to destroy you. And Nineveh turns, they they were struck to the spirit, to the core of their heart. They turned back to God. They were convicted so deeply that they begin to fast and, and, and repent of all of their wicked things that they had done. Which tells me that God was in Nineveh well before Jonah was there. And God the Holy Spirit's role in this world is to convict people in this world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. 
And the neatest thing is that we see in this passage that God didn't send Jonah to Nineveh. God was already in Nineveh, and he was doing his work preparing the hearts. And Nineveh turned. In fact, it wasn't just Nineveh that turned, but the king of Nineveh repents. This is what we find in here. This is a very powerful individual, right? And had all the luxuries, all the, the things that he ever could have wanted. And he could have very easily had Jonah killed. Very easily. Could have said, Jonah is threatening my pleasure, right? He's making me look bad. And he could have said, I'm going to show you how strong your God is. And he could have had Jonah just absolutely just slaughtered. Because they killed lots of people, why wouldn't he? But instead, do you know God actually had the ability to reach the heart of this king? And the, this king takes off his royal garments and he puts on sackcloth, which is like a potato sack, right? It's a sign of, of, uh, of true remorse, of humility, saying, man, I was supposed to lead my people into riches and I've actually led them into, into depravity. And he sits there and he mourns and he weeps on behalf of his nation. That God turned the heart of leaders. And here's the neat thing. Jonah didn't even talk directly to the king. Not as far as we could tell. He just walked throughout the city. He was just like, hey guys, 40 days, you're on the clock. 39 now, right? That's what he was doing. And somehow news reached the king, and God changed the king's heart. And the king turned. And even though this was a wicked country, God responds with mercy. Mercy wasn't part of the message. And yet, it was part of the plan. Isn't that awesome with God? The message was, you've gotten so evil. You've been my enemies. You have done awful things. I'm going to destroy you in 40 days. And they turn and they say, oh God, we've done wrong. And they turn to him and God then gives them mercy. I think this is an important thing that we recognize in our life, that while we draw breath, no matter where we are, God's desire is not to destroy you. Right? He wants to bring you back into faithfulness. When you repent, then God relents. That is a truth. But it happens, there is a period of time. The fullness of your time on earth is the amount of time that you have to turn back. Because when that 40 is done, so are you. And Nineveh turns back to God. And God, well, he saves them. Now, we see this amazing revival happen in, in chapter 3. It's an awesome thing. And I'm going to tell you some of the benefits of living in God's will that, that Nineveh turned back. And so here's some of the benefits that we find there. And the first benefit that we have of uh, going back to God's will, we see here in verse 1, it says, when the, um, when the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, go to this great city Nineveh and proclaim the message that I will give you. Uh, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And it says, Nineveh was a large city, took three days to go through it, and he began going through the journey and, of the city and proclaiming 40 more days, and he will be overthrown. And the Ninevites believed God. Uh, a fast was proclaimed on all of them, from the greatest to the least, and they put on sackcloth. We see this amazing turn of the heart. And, and I think what we find here is, as the word of God was proclaimed, right, in Jonah verse 3, it says, this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, and the city was so large to all to see it, right? He turned, right? Jonah went back and stepped into God's will. And because he stepped back into God's will, he got to see things that only people that are in God's will can see, right? Jonah obeyed, right? He, he got to see the revival because he was in God's word. If you want to see great things happen in your life, God work in your life, be in the center of his will. Now, something I love about this chapter or this passage is that this, it says this time, right? It, 
And remember, Jonah's the one who wrote this, right? He had to write all of this out. And he was very honest. He's like, before I was not faithful, but finally I was. This time. Regardless of what our past has been, or where you have been with God, or maybe what you're doing now, right? There's that fish that's out there for, to bring us back on track. Right? God will allow us to use, he'll, allow, he'll, he'll use pain and suffering and people and all that kind of stuff, right? But there's, while you still have breath, is there a this time in you? Can you be faithful now? That you haven't missed out on his great plans or what he can do. But there has to be a time that you turn to him, and Jonah did. So one of the, the benefits that, uh, that we have in God's will is that he benefits from God's grace. Right? When you turn back to God, you receive grace. Jonah did not end up digested fish food. If he did, we would know nothing about him, right? He'd be some forgotten, some, I doubt it, anybody would ever name their kid Jonah, right? We wouldn't know him. But because he turned to God, even in the midst of a whale, even in the midst of his well-deserved suffering, because he returned to God's will, he received God's grace. And, and Nineveh had the same experience. Now, grace is unmerited favor. It's a second chance or a third chance or whatever chance you're on. God gives you another opportunity to be able to get your life back, to, to live a new way and not to have this life of death. Now, the purpose of grace is not so that way you can be free to sin more. Right? God didn't say, okay, Jonah, I'm going to give you another chance and has the fish spin him up on shore so that Jonah could then run away again. That wasn't the purpose of it. Now, certainly God would have been there, but there would be more trials in Jonah's future, right? The purpose of grace is so that God forgives us, not so that we can continue to sin. He forgives us so that we can get back on the right track. And Jonah did this. Romans 2, 4 speaks directly to this. It says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? If you've received God's grace, if he's forgiven you from sin, right? We have to resist this easy thing to do. Say, well, God will just forgive me. Therefore, I'm going to kind of lean into the sin because I know he'll still love me. Yes, he'll still love you, right? But you're missing the point. He'll continue to bring fish into your lives until you grow up, until you learn to walk in faithfulness. The point of grace is, to, is a do-over so you can learn how to do it right. The second reason or the good blessing that we have when we turn back to God, right, when we walk in his, his will, not, we don't just receive his grace, but we also get his provision, right? Again, you've heard me say this thousands of times because I need to because people still have this bad idea in their mind that, that, that God will never give you more than you can handle. That's so not true. He's never going to give you more temptation than you can resist, right? That's, that's it. But he's never going to give you more than he can handle, and he's promised he'll never leave you, Right? And our provision is in God. I mean, if, if we didn't need God, then, I mean, I don't see the purpose of faith in life. And be honest with you, living a life under my own power, doing things that I can only take credit for, it seems awfully small. I want to live the kind of life where it's very obvious to me and others that God somehow showed up, right, to do more than Aaron is capable of on his own. And I want that for you as well. It's the evidence and the proof that our faith is real. That's why Christians don't just have a, a life that we have this conversion event. We have a transformation event. This time in which our, our, our transformation, our, 
our testimony becomes part of our very life. That it's not just, I believe in Jesus, but people can look at us and say, you are different. What God did in your life, you can't take credit for that because I know you, right? This is what we are looking for. This is what God does in us. God took a, a Ninevite hater and made him the evangelist to Nineveh. That is evidence of God at work in somebody's life. God took the king of Nineveh and made him put on sackcloth and ashes and led his city into righteousness. That is the evidence of God. Only God can do that. See, God was in Nineveh well before Jonah was. If Jonah just went to Nineveh on his own, probably lots of well-meaning prophets would have gone up to Nineveh. People that had, you know, like, Nineveh is this evil city, and so we're going to stand against it. And they probably got beheaded. But when God went first, the provision was there because Jonah was walking in the will of God. He waited for God's timing, and he followed him, and God's provision was there, and God's the one who did the amazing work, isn't it? And he does that in our life, too, in every area. When we try to live our life on our own power, on our understanding, right, doing things under what I can do, it's you versus the world. It's me versus the world, and we get bloodied up and wonder, where was God? I'll tell you where God's is. God's provision is in the center of his will. So when we're in the center of his will, we find his provision. Matthew 6, says this. This is a promise. He's going to take care of all of our needs. Right? Jesus, and this is not a, a spiritualized thing. Jesus says, I want you to look at the pagans. Look at the pagan world and what occupies their, what occupies their mind all the time. It, it's the practical things of life. What are you going to eat? Where are you going to live? What are you going to wear? Right? Are you going to have a job tomorrow? Is your investments going to do okay? Are you going to be secure? Are you going to be able to survive? He says they live like animals because that's how animals live. But he says, not for you. You don't have to be like that. He says, seek first his kingdom. That's God's kingdom and his righteousness. And all those things, which are the very practical things of life, will be given to you as well. And then he points to, actually, the animals. And he says, they don't actually have to have their minds occupied by all those things. That's what it looks like. Like, God provides for them. And if he provides for flowers and for birds, how much more is he going to be able to provide for you, his children, whom he loves? See, when you put God first in your life, and, and, and you begin to seek his kingdom, his righteousness above everything else, what you desire is his will. You stop praying, God, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as I hope it is, it is in heaven, right? That's not what we, we stop praying that. We say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? We say, God, I want what you want because whatever you want is better than what I want. And if they align and praise God and, and I make that happen, if they're different, then correct me and help me live according to what you have. See, from that point on, God provides our needs, Right, when we stop trying to build our kingdoms and we start building God's, he's going to fund that. And that's where we find provision. And what that means is that we don't have worries. That's the whole point of this, right? Jesus says, stop worrying. He says, look at the pagans. They worried. Look at it in context. If you want a life free of worry, of wondering if I'm going to have, if the economy's going to do this, or what's going to happen in the world, if, am I going to be okay? Your security can be completely sure on the very practical things of life, but it requires us to be in the center of God's will. That's all. And his will is not like mythic. It's not like, it, it, I wonder what it is. It's very easy. He directs us. He wants you there. Another benefit that we have is, is that we other people benefit from my obedience. See, Jonah, he didn't even want to go to Nineveh. 
right? Even while he was there preaching, he was kind of hoping that they would make, maybe he even mumbled. And God is going to destroy you, right? Who knows? But God did his work. And just because Joan was faithful, even even a bad attitude and he was faithful, the entire city was saved. Thousands of people were spared destruction because this one man decided to this time finally be faithful. You know, when you are in God's will, other people are blessed. You know, as, as, as a father, right, I try to be a, a good, godly father for my son, right? I'm not perfect by any stretch, but I really try, right? And as I do those things well, my son benefits, doesn't he? And not only did he benefit, but his teachers benefit because he knows that he'd better be kind to them and respectful, right, and to turn in his work. And society will someday benefit because he's a person that's growing and understanding what is a right way to live, Right? So someday, hopefully, he'll be a good dad and, and a good husband and a good employee and a good member of society. Right? That benefits lots of people. Well, if I started out just being awful to him, I would, he still could be faithful, but it would make it a lot harder for him, wouldn't it? You know, when you're faithful, other people are blessed. Think of this. This church is 100% financially supported by faithfulness. I love that. Our ability to do work for God is 100% tied to our ability to be faithful as people, financially, worshiping God with our things. If we none of us tithed, none of this would happen. Think of the hundreds of hours that we were able to give away to our community of counseling this last year, or all of the benevolent needs we were able to meet, or having an opportunity to come together and worship together. You are benefiting from other people's generosity and kindness. Or think about those of you here, that those nice little bulletins that are in there. Do you know that there's some young ladies in our church that fold those every week, volunteer, spend time to do that? You are benefiting from other people's faithfulness. We do that in all pairs of life. See, when we want to bring greatness into this world, it starts with us actually, this time, obeying God. And that brings me to, when I am faithful, I invite ongoing revival. It's an invitation, right? And that's the fun part. And I don't know about you, but revival for me, growing up outside of the church, right, it was more Catholic and then other things, and when I came back into it, my picture of revival came from TV shows, which was this. Sweaty guys in tents outside somewhere in the south, you know, singing songs like, like a pep rally for already kind of holy people that were kind of annoying. That, to me, was a picture of revival. So when people said revival to me, I was like, I revile revival, right? That's where I started. But the actual word is beautiful, right? To live is what it means, right? Revival means to, to vive is to live, right? And so to revive is to bring back. It's like if you have somebody who's dead and you give them CPR and you revive them and now they're not dead and stinky and boring because they're just dead. Now they're alive and they have interest because now their personality's back and their life is back. This is revival. And when we ask God to bring revival, we're saying, God, I want you to bring your life into dead things. That's what I want. And this is what happened in Nineveh. It was dead, and God brought life back into it. This is what happened for Jonah. He was dead in the belly of a fish, and God brought life back into him. So we're in God's will. We invite him to bring life back. Life. Could our world use some life? Could our community use some life? Could your family use some life? Could you use some life? Revival is invited when we bring God back into the center, right? When we, we begin to worship him. Now, this is how, how it starts, though, because I've, I've done a lot of study over these last couple of years about revival, right? Because I, I want to learn about it. What happens when revival happens? 
And the first thing is that revival happens when God's people return to his will. That's the invitation. Right? When God's people finally, every time we see revivals happen and pop up and things, is when God's people finally say, I'm, stop, I'm not playing games with you, God, anymore. I don't care what anybody else does. God, I'm coming back to you. And this is what happened in Nineveh. And this is what happened with Jonah. So I'm, I'm not playing games. It's not about what I want or for you to convince me, God, I'm coming back to your will. If I've got to fast, if I've got to put on sackcloth and ashes, if I've got to admit that I've been wrong, it doesn't matter. I'm coming back to your will. It starts there. 2 Chronicles 7.14, one of the greatest uh, passages that speaks to this. I'm gonna, says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Now, this was a promise for God's people when they, when they were going to go astray. And God said, listen, it doesn't matter what the rest of culture does. If my people do this, I will bring life back to you. Well, we're still God's people, right? It, part of, of the amazing thing is, is that God said, you are salt and light. But if we lose our saltiness, then what good are we? But when we come back to God, if we... If we seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, stop looking at the culture and saying, look at all the bad things media is doing and, and all of the bad things that are happening on the web and, and politics. Of course bad things are happening there. The devil is the prince of this world. But what about you? Are you in God's kingdom? Are you seeking his face? Are you turning back to him? Are you doing that? Revival happens when God's people say, God, we're following you. We love you. And the second thing we find is that revival then results in action. Every time God's people turn back to him, it's not just an emotive, oh, Lord, we feel guilty for the ways we've been wrong. No, it changes how we live. Look at the people in Nineveh. They, they, they fully repented. They stopped eating food, and they started saying, God, what have we done? Right? It changed how they live. And revival starts with this. We have this conviction in the heart, and we turn back to God, but then we actually turn back to him. We change how we live. We begin to make his ways our ways. It moves us from the inside out. Like for Jonah, it moved him to go to Nineveh. And Nineveh moved them to fast. But for us, it's going to move us away from the selfishness of our dead way of living in back into God's will. This is where revival begins. But revival doesn't stay there. One thing about revival that makes it different than just a conversion experience or something is that revival spreads. It's when God begins to work not just in one Christian's life, but in lots of people. Right? He's at work in a society and within like a church, right? You see revivals happen in churches or they happen in, in other places. Right? Revival begins to spread. And this is what happens is that it, uh, it begins with a person as an individual turning to God. And that person will then take a step and say, all right, and usually it's asking for forgiveness or repenting of sin. And another person, God's already been working on their heart. They just needed a little nudge. And then they see it happen. And they're like, okay, that person was brave enough to follow God. Me too. And then they follow God. And then another person says, me too. And then, because people are basically sheep, yes we are, are like, us too, right? And then we have this mass move back towards God. This is how we see revival begin to spread. Faithfulness is caught. God does the preparation work. We have to have a move in our heart. And I'll say this, how many times has revival, I wonder, been stopped because the spark, the person that got his call to, to just make that step, anyone, none of them were brave enough. They all just said, well, I would be kind of embarrassing for me to say, me too, right? Or, or I've, God, I want your kingdom first. 
And because they never started, there was no spark, and revival never started. We have to begin it. Now, something else revival does is, is revival brings us into the zone, right? And, and, uh, and we're going to remain in that zone as long as we stay in God's will. You know what I'm talking about, like a zone? You ever been in the zone? Like when you're just like, like for athletes, I'm coaching football. Like when I know a player's in the zone, it's like, man, all their tackles, their blocks, everything just seems easy, right? They're just playing. This is easy. Or if I hear at work and you're in the zone, you ever been there? And like all of your work kind of gets done fast and easy, right? It's, you're just there. You're just kind of locked in. Well, when you're spiritually in your zone, it's like that. You're like reading the Bible and it just makes sense. You're trying to, you're, you're resisting temptation. You're being able to apply God's way in your life. It's just easy, right? It's fun. That's, that's the zone that God calls us. That's, that's what part of the joy of being in revival. It's like living in God's kingdom. It's like you're in the flow and it's just pushing you towards him. It's fantastic. You remain there and it remains in your life as long as we stay in God's will. So you've never noticed that revivals sometimes come to like communities or something like that. It starts with a person and it stays there but it didn't stay forever. Like Nineveh, 200 years later, 250 years later, Nineveh was destroyed by God because they went back and were wicked again right? But they started out, they had life. But one of the worst things is a revival that starts and then just dies. Well, revivals tend to stay in spaces as long as people are actually seeking God. Revivals typically end when people start looking for the experience. They're like, oh, that looks fun. I want to be part of that. And they stop focusing on God and his will. It starts becoming about them. And then God's like, well, now my goodness is making you toxic. So I need to pull back a little bit, right? In your life, if you want ongoing revival, if you want to have this kind of experience of life coming back into your, to your world daily, right, to be refreshed each day with God's grace, it has to be a commitment of continuing to walk in God's will. Because as soon as we take God's goodness and his grace and, and all of his blessings and we allow it to, to spoil us and then we stray, then revival stops for us, right? It, it it's kind of cools off. And then we put ourselves back in the place where now we're battling fish again. So to learn the lesson from Jonah is we want to make sure to invite this revival. How do you do it? How do you invite ongoing revival? Start with your heart. See, revival doesn't go to spaces. There was a revival in Nineveh, but the revival happened for the people of Nineveh, right? Sometimes we think we pray for revival to happen in Estes or our church. No, revival needs to happen in us. So start with your heart, right? Say, God, I want to get back with you. And have that check, Lord, which ways am I not trusting in, my, in, in you with all my heart? What ways am I not you know, I'm leaning on my own understanding. What ways am I not submitting to you? Show me this so that way I can get back in your will. Have that real conversation with God and start here. And as you do, you examine, then repent as God shows you a better way of living. It's a better way of living. It's not like we should mourn the fact that God says, here's a way to life, right? We'd be happy about it and then start living it. And as we do that, connect with God. Right? The point of all of this is not for you to be good little boys and girls. God doesn't, that's not the whole point. That's, that's not really what he's after. He wants to know you and for you to love him. And he wants to love you deeply and be connected with you. So if all of revival is just me becoming a better person, right? Like Jonah, I think he missed out on a lot of the revival. We'll see that next week, right? He missed the point. He did the right things, but he missed the goodness of God. Learn to love God. See him in your life. Connect with him as it happens. And then we, we go back, we commit to the basics, right? Worship God. This is what it's all about. Worship God. Center your life on him. As he's invited us in scripture with your time, with your talent, with your treasure, start centering your life on him. Start there. 
And as we begin to build our lives around God, well, then what I want to do is challenge ourselves. This is one of those principles in life where it, you can get lazy, you can get so far, and then you can just stop because it's comfortable. And then what happens is we stop growing, which means we really stop living. You ever notice that, that living things grow and growing things change? That's the way it works. Are you growing? That's why Amy and I, like, in our, our time, like, as I, every year I look at my time management. How am I giving myself to God, right, first, centering on Him? Right? First, I had to get back to a place of actually taking a Sabbath, which was very difficult for me, right? and learning how to apply And then adding to that, how do I have time with him in the morning? Right? And then always adding, putting myself one step out of my comfort zone. Same thing with our, with our finances. Right? Like We started, we built up, we eventually tithed, and then past that, once the tithe got comfortable, it required no faith. So we, we, we intentionally took a next step. So it required a little faith, so we're inviting God into the situation, right? Same thing when you're using my talents, my abilities, right? The, how am I going to live more selflessly? And the amazing thing is every time I give something to God, he gives me more than I ever gave him. It's a phenomenal. The more I've taken time, the more stressed I, I'm not, right? The, the lower, less stressed that I am. I, the, the more that we've given to God in, in our generosity, the more that he's blessed us. The thing is that you want to grow. You want to see God in your life? Continue to challenge yourself to grow in him. So that he'll change you. He will. And that's really the heart behind our say yes. As we start this year and these next seven years, we're talking about really saturating this valley with the gospel of Jesus. And I could show you why it works this way. But the reality is, if all of us just grow a little, and and, and these are small things. We're asking you to pray five days a week, right? Nothing, Hughes. Monday, pray for God's direction for us, a new home, but also for us as a church that he builds us the people that we need to be to reach this community. Tuesday, pray for our families. Wednesday, pray for our community. Thursday, right, pray for the people you want to bring to God, you want to bring to church. Friday, pray for the church itself. Pray. Start there. How about this? Attend five more Sundays. All the rest of them have a more on that. That's why, because it's challenging. It's what we want you to do. We want to have ongoing revival in your life. And here, five more Sundays need Attended last year. That's going to be easy this year because no one was at church last year. How about this? Serve five more hours than you did in the entire year. Like, just serve five more hours this year than you did last year. That should not be hard. There's a lot of hours in a year. Five more. How about bring five more guests, five new people for your family to come and be part of our family or give five cents more for every dollar you gave before. Just that small challenge is not the amount that matters. It's the fact that you're growing in your faith. I want you to see God's goodness in your life. I want us to not be a dead church or just a a lukewarm church or a church that kind of floats on the surface waiting for a fish to swallow us. I want to be a living church, a living church in this community that brings God's life to the people around us. And if you want to experience true revival, not some sweaty tent where there's a pep rally for old, old saints, but I mean a real revival where God brings life back to this dead country, life back to our dead families, life back to your dead life, Start here. How do you begin? Well, you've got to come to Jesus. You have to at some point say, God, I'm coming back to you. Maybe it's for the first time. And if you're joining us, maybe even online, and you've never become a Christian, this is where you begin. I mean, this is where grace starts. He says you're gra- saved by grace through faith. And that faith, God tells us, expressed through our belief and our confession, our repentance and baptism and discipleship. And that's why you need a church family. And if you need to come to Jesus, then let me know. Either come to the service after this, call me, email me, let us know. We will help you take those steps of faith. But for those of us who are already Christians, it's a daily coming to Jesus. Like Jesus said, take up your cross daily. Right? Follow him. Get to know him. 
And let's encourage one another as we do that. Now, I know it went a little bit long today. I'm sorry, I got on a roll. But here's some things. We want to apply this, don't we? We want to apply it. So on your connection card, I've got some things I'm going to challenge you to do this week. Not for busy work, but so that we can invite God's life back into our lives in a greater way. And the first thing I'm going to challenge you to do this week is, can you memorize Proverbs 3, 5? This is kind of where it begins. It's that daily reminder as you go through that verse and you pray through that verse, you're asking God, Lord, I want to seek your way. I don't want to rely on my understanding of how life works. I want to trust you, right? Ask him. Use that scripture. It will become a filter in your life to show you where you're outside of God's will and help you correct. It's an amazing passage. Read Jonah 3. It's a fun passage. In fact, it's the happiest chapter in all of Jonah. So read it. It's good. It's like a half a page. Also, ask what God wants you to do. Most of the time, we tell God what we want him to do. So I'm going to challenge you this week. Would you take time every day and say, God, what would you have me do? That's a great way to begin inviting revival, right? And then you'll see that that fourth one kind of goes with it. If you take the third challenge, I really hope you take the fourth one, is actually to do what he asked you to do. Otherwise, you're like Jonah in the first chapter. You're like, Lord, what do I want me to do? Go to Nineveh. No, right? Then, then you're inviting trouble. So if you ask God what he wants, then be of the heart and the mind, say, I'm going to commit to doing whatever it is. And God's going to ask you to do some pretty awesome big things. But I promise this, he will be there with you. He will be there before you. And he will do great things. Okay. That's all I have time for. In fact, less than that. So let me pray for you, and then we'll have the worship team come up. Make those commitments at the end of the message. Please drop those in that box at the back of the service, at the back of the table there, along with your tithes and gifts. If you're joining us online, write in. Let us know. Use fill out that form, and let us know how we can be praying for you this week as you make these commitments and follow the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your goodness and your mercy are, are amazing. That you are a big and a powerful God, but you're also a merciful and a kind God, one who invites us to call you Heavenly Father. And you meet our needs with such mercy and with such love. Lord, you don't just desire our obedience, but even more, you desire our hearts. So, Father, help us to give you our hearts. Let us trust you as your people with all of our hearts. Give us the good sense, Lord, as, as your people, to stop trying to figure out this world and how to fix it on our own, but to trust you and, and, and lean on your ways as we submit to you, knowing that you're a good God and you never ask us to do evil things. But Father, help us to submit, lay down our lives, pick up our cross daily, and, and trust you. And Lord, as that, we, we follow your will, we follow Jesus. And then we ask as, as we do all of this, that you would bless this church and this community with the restorative life of your Holy Spirit and of Christ, that you would rebuild us from the inside out. May we shine brightly for this community and inject your life here for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.